Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. I'm your host. Thank you very much for tuning in. Today, we have a wonderful guest from Kansas. But before I introduce her, I want to introduce my book, which is called A Gift from Adversity, which is available on Amazon. And if you put A Gift from Adversity, by Jui Love, you're gonna find it. The subtitle of this book is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. After I experienced all of this, I decided to publish my book in 2020. And this year, I decided to start a podcast, A Gift from Adversity, same name as my book. Today, I'm very proud to say we are recording episode 80. The reason why I wanted to start this podcast is I really wanted to create a platform where people can talk about the adversity and also share the tools that they use to overcome and a gift that came from it. So let's welcome our guest tonight, Paige Lore. Hi, Paige. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Hi. It is an absolute honor. I thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you tonight. Wonderful. So, Paige, can you tell our audience your name, where you're coming in from, and what you do, and your website and social media? Yes. Okay. So, I am Paige Lore. I am from Kansas City. Um, Kansas on the Kansas side and I've been here my whole life. I am a mom and I homeschool during the day and I'm also a a three-time published author and um, that's something I'm able to do when I'm not you know chasing around kiddos and um, my website is www.thecharliepage.com my social media um, you can find me mostly on Instagram um, page lore and uh, Paige Lore on Facebook. And that's primarily the places that I'm at and where you're gonna learn the most about me and be able to connect with me. What do people find on your website when they visit your website or social media? So I have um, different uh, links to conversations that I've been able to have with people such as yourself, um, other authors, people that are in business, um, podcasts that I've been on, but um, some of my own writing. So that was a place where it kind of started off like a blog and I have some some short pieces as well as links to the books that I have published and that are available on Amazon. What are the titles of your books? So um, I wrote a book when I was 19 and that was short stories and poems, but that's not available. I'm gonna rework that and actually re-release it. But um, my book that I released in 2021 is called The Roots in a Woman. And um, then the book that I just released on Friday is called Sin is Finished. And so um, those are the two titles that I have out and available right now. So people check out Paige Lore's book, L-O-E-H-R. So Paige, let's dive into our first question, which is the adversity. So can you please tell our audience, what was your adversity? 
So I like to kind of just go back to childhood because that's where I think um, everything, you know, really stemmed from. There's so much adversity that we face in life and so much that I can say um, I faced myself so many pivotal moments and things that were really difficult, really challenging and a part of my experience. But I always just go back to what I faced as a child. And that was um, having an addict as a father. And he was um, basically because of his addiction, he was in and out of my life. And with that, I saw um, the trauma mostly came in from what I witnessed. And that was a lot of um, having him having to be physically removed from my home by officers um, when he would be um, basically trying to be in that life, but also be at home, kind of he would bring it into our doors. And that wasn't obviously welcome and um, violence and verbal abuse and physical, physical altercations and um, all of those things I witnessed. But I can tell you the, the main thing that was birthed from that in my own, in my life specifically, was the issue of anxiety. So that was, that's probably my biggest adversity that I can say that came from my childhood trauma was um, just the constant worry that I began to live with, the constant fear, um, irrational thoughts, you know, being a child and knowing that your, your father is an addict and sometimes it would be months and um, years of separation and, and not knowing where he was, if he was still alive, if um, he had accidentally overdosed, um, just not knowing the state of being he was ever in unless he was home. And so um, that is that is the main trauma that kind of just started me off on, a, on an ugly path, a, a deep, dark path and, um, and and just dealing with anxiety for many, many years to come from from there. So. Well, Paige, thank you so much for sharing that. And what kind of addiction was um, your father suffering from? So he was, um, you know, I don't, I'm not for sure all, all that he was into, um, but he was into hard drugs. And so um, that was really, really hard on the body and really hard on the mind. It wasn't anything that he could necessarily um, peacefully coexist with. You know, there's a lot of people with addictions where they can kind of get by, manage and live a somewhat normal life, um, obviously, regardless of the things that they do in their home. But he was, um, he was either good or he was really bad. He was either um, in the home functioning, you know, and, you know, that was that's still, you know, he was ap very emotionally absent when he was there um, or he was on a bender and away doing hard drugs. And and because of that, there was a lot of theft. He would steal from us. He would steal our vehicle, my mom's vehicles, money, you know, all kinds of things in order to obtain these these uh, substances. So it was. Um, so it was a lot. It was it was it wasn't like uh, mild. It was very traumatic, very um, high highs and low lows. And how about your mom? Was um, was she suffering with some of the issues, or was she just trying to get by? And yeah, um, my mom is my like she's superwoman. She's my hero. She raised basically three kids on her own. Um, and her, I think the biggest thing about her is she's gifted with empathy and, um, she saw the goodness in him. You know, I think one of the things about my father is that he is, uh, he has a magnetic personality type and 
he has so much life and so much vigor when he's well. And she just saw that she saw him when he was good and wanted to hold on to that for as long as she could. And so her story is more of just fighting the fighting the fight of knowing who he was or he, who he could be. She saw his potential and wanting to wanting to fight for that for as long as she could until obviously she knew it was too, um, too toxic to continue to maintain that relationship and obviously expose her children to that type of behavior. So, so yeah, that's her, that's her side of the story. And she went through a lot. She, um, that's another part of the anxiety that comes in, you know, it's like, it's one thing to worry about your dad. It's another to know that your mo your mother is handling everything alone. She's handling the finances. She's handling her children's emotions, her emotions. Um, she's trying not to let us see her hurting and in pain. And, um, and so I worried about her a lot as well as a child. And I kind of, um, without her ever asking, took on her emotional burdens and, um, that probably, that probably was a big magnifier to the anxiety as well. Do you recall how old you were when you were going through this? Like, were you in elementary school or middle school? Yeah, I was, I was a small child. So about, I, I would say about six is like my first recorded memory. I wrote my book, Sin is Finished. Um, uh, I have a, a chapter where I talk about looking back. And um, I remember specifically one of the first anxiety attacks that I had. And I was about six years old, driving to pick up my brother from a sleepover and just beginning to obsess and worry over where my dad was and if he was alive and felt the rocks in my throat and the tightness in my chest and tears streaming down my face. And I'm in the back seat trying to be quiet so that my mom doesn't know because I didn't want to add to her stress. So it was this, it was this small child, you know, my daughter is five and a half. She'll be six in the summer. And um, I just can't even imagine her trying to handle an emotional, an emotional load of that nature and um, that's where that's where it really began for me. And how about throughout like elementary, middle school and high school? Yeah, so there was. Um, I, I guess there there it was like a hidden part of my life. And the reason why I, I hid it was because. I just didn't want to add any more to the the trauma that was going on in my home. And so um, I became really inward and had, in, in, in a weird way, had somewhat of a social life, but there was so much that I wasn't letting on and um, begin to kind of like, what's, what's crazy is that when I kind of transitioned into middle school, high school, um, obviously making really poor decisions and just trying to um, numb the pain and, and deal with things the best I knew how getting into relationships that were unhealthy and similar to probably, you know, would have ended up like my father and emotionally abusive, uh, physically abusive relationships. And, um, and so I'm maintaining all of that while not letting people know the inner turmoil that was going on, like all of the, the, the stress, the anxiety, um, how much I struggled with my mental health. And, um, uh, my dad was actually, in and out of my home until um, probably middle school timeframe. And then he left and moved out of the state. Um, and I didn't see him for multiple, multiple years. Um, so, so it was like, it wasn't the end though, you know, because for me in that season of my life, um, he was never the dad that he needed to be, but there was always like this weird hope, like, 
there was this hope that one day he would figure it out and one day he would get better. But then he decided to give up completely and move away. And that was right when I was about 13, 14, those pivotal years when you need your father to, um, to kind of distract you from all of the things of the world and maybe, you know, speak life into you and speak the good things and point out the good things about yourself and, um, and give you the love and attention and affection that you, that you need or else you're going to seek it elsewhere. And that's right when he left. And so that's, that's probably, um, that, that is the hardest part of my story as far as physically remembering just deep pain, because I just craved, um, I craved a dad. I remember specifically having friends that, um, you know, their dads, you know, they had divorced homes, separated homes, and um, their dads would like pick them up on the weekends and they would complain about having to go be with their dad on the weekend. And I just remember like thinking like, I wish my dad cared enough to fight for me and to fight to be in my life. You know, you're so blessed. You're so lucky that he's still trying, you know, because mine's gone. So, um, so yeah, it did. The trauma basically fit it physically stopped, but it lived on in my body and in my heart, my and my spirit. Oh, Paige, thank you so much for sharing all of this. And um having an unhealthy father and then the relationship that you craved and really not having that, but the comparing the comparison that you have with other kids can be very, very difficult. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever get bullied or did you get like some social anxiety at school and then just affected your grade and performances like athletically or academically due to this? Um, yeah. So about a year before my dad left for good, he was, um, living at home and I guess in a season of trying to, to do the right thing. And, um, little did we know that there was actually a warrant out for his arrest. And so, um, he, he was driving me to school one day and I usually rode the bus. So it was kind of out of the ordinary, but it was special to me. And, um, that day, um, he saw a police officer begin to follow us and the police officer followed us all the way to our school. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, maybe he's just, you know, not used a blinker or maybe he was speeding. I don't know what, what the case was, but anyways, they, they, instead of pulling him over right away or initially when they saw him, um, they, they pulled him over in front of my school. And so, um, they did a full arrest and, um, everybody was walking into school seeing this happen. And so, there was a great deal of shame that came upon my life in that time. And I, I remember getting checked on later in the day, you know, the school counselor promised my mom to check on me. And what do you say? You know, like they, they were sitting me down asking me if I was okay. And of course I wasn't okay, you know, but um, it was already embarrassing enough. And so I just said, yeah, it's fine. You know, I just want to go back to class. I want to be a normal kid. And, you know, there was, there was no doubt the people that, that would rem that would remember that and that would bring it up or ask me questions or um i think honestly sometimes the worst was the silence you know the worst was like the let's leave her alone because she's going through a lot let's leave her alone because x y and z and no one you know truly knowing what to say 
to make it better. And so they just said nothing. And um, that that was hard. So so there was bullying there. I was um, I, I come from a community that was fairly that has a decent amount of money. Most of the people that I went to school with had a, a significant amount of income coming into their household. And um, some even you could you would consider wealthy and um, being raised by a single mom. I was I was not. And so there was bullying there, not having the nice things and all of that. But um, I think it really did pale in comparison to like the self degradation, you know, like my internal dialogue was probably worse than anything. I, I, I showed pretty tough and, and that toughness and that rough exterior kind of kept people from saying much. Um, but what I said to myself was, was worse and was harder than um, anybody else was going to be on me. So what were the things that you were saying that was hard like to yourself? Do you remember? Do you recall? Yeah, I just I remember saying that like I wasn't worthy of love. I wasn't worth I wasn't worth fighting for. I wasn't worth um I wasn't worth um lo loving and pursuing. Um that I would never be anything, that I would never um amount to anything, that I don't know, I just never had life being spoken into me. And so because of that, I, and my grades did suffer in school, um, during all of this, um, I was never top of my class in any area, but writing. And, um, and so my grades suffered. I, I didn't think I was smart. So I, um, I went down the laundry list of you're not intelligent. You'll never accomplish anything. You might just end up like your dad, all of these in this internal dialogue. And I never got into sports because financially my mom couldn't support that. Um, and so I was non-athletic and I was not smart. And so it's like, I'm just this kid that, um, doesn't have anything going for me. So, you know, I, that's when I kind of started seeking, um, my own outlets and most of that was pretty negative and, um, unhealthy. So one of the unhealthy thing was that the relationship that you mentioned a little bit, like abusive relationship. Um, or is there anything else that you attracted negatively? Yes. So I was, um, I, I had a, um, a pretty negative and abusive relationship that I entered in, um, when I was a freshman in high school and that carried on until right after high school for me. And then, um, just other relationships and other experiences and, um, you know, kind of got into drug and alcohol abuse. Um, and you know, that was, it was, it was interesting because it was, there were things that I vowed never to do, but as long as it didn't go beyond that, you know, up to that point was okay. And, and that was not, none of that was good, you know? So, um, so I was at a young age working part-time after school and that money kind of went all to pursuing negative things, drugs and alcohol and wherever I could find it, wherever I could get it and um, spending time and hanging out with people that had access to it. And that was kind of my high school life like that was my focus is how can I numb the pain how can I drown all of it out and pretend it's not there wow and then I I know you mentioned that your dad uh left you guys have you ever been in touch after that or he's just really gone yes um it was about four years until I saw him and he came into town. Um, my sister, my sister's wedding, we kind of didn't think he would show up. 
and he wasn't necessarily invited. He had his family members, his brothers and sisters were. And so, yeah, yeah, we kind of just tolerated it because he wasn't too dramatic. But I think one of the biggest things that um, I can say about my family is that we just have the grace. You know, I think he was in a, a little bit of a better place. And so just the grace to just be patient. And um, and that was there's only been a couple times that I've seen him since that time frame um, kind of likes to show up for big events. And so we like to keep our lives pretty pi private because of that. But um, there's at this point. Um, we can keep in touch and be cordial because there's uh, a lot of been a lot of forgiveness in my heart and in my life. And so nothing really negative that I hold against him. So. Well, that is very brave of you to do that. Um, so Paige, I really want to echo with you about abusive relationship that you got into. And I hate this word so much. Somebody told me and it pissed me off that, oh, you have daddy issue. And then some people said, um, daddy issue girls are so easy to get. You just give attention and love and then they're all yours or something. And then some guys are specifically targeting the daddy issue girls. And when I heard that, like it really kind of hit home yeah. that say, I hate to say this, but sex trafficking industry and the vulnerable um, population, like the people who experienced this dysfunctional family and it's not at all your fault, but my case included that we just crave for attention. Yeah. And some people are just very aware how to control us the vulnerable part of us. Yeah. And I didn't know until later in my life that those are the populations that are targeted. And looking back now, when you are younger and you know, attracting these abusive relationships and then um, how do you feel about those comments? And then how do you feel about these people kind of like biasing us? Yeah, well, I think the reality is, you know, no one likes to have the harsh truth. And especially when it's almost, you know, made fun of, like it's, um, it's kind of like a joke. Um, there's so much reality to it. That's the problem is that some of these really, really painful things, even the things that we tell ourselves, there's some truth to it, you know? And so, um, I definitely feel like, um, I feel like, as much as I could be a target, I made myself a target because I, I did, I just wanted attention. I wanted to, um, I wanted to be seen. I wanted somebody to tell me I was special and, and to tell me I was loved. And, and so the, the main relationship that what that was, it was, it was, evol it evolved. Like he had his own traumas that he was dealing with and he had his own things that he was dealing with and he got into, um, drug and alcohol abuse. And so, it was a relationship that evolved into abuse and physical abuse. And it was actually not until um, about four years into the relationship that was very, it was just on and off. And so there was a lot of other traumas that were happening in between and relationships that were happening in, in between for both of us. Um, but it wasn't even until my, my aunt who had been in a really, really abusive relationship um, she pulled me aside and when I was a senior in high school and she said, I just want to tell you that some of the things that I'm seeing, some of the behavior I'm seeing is 
are, are warning signs that he's physically abusive and that it, it only escalates. And, and so I was immediately defensive, but she kind of calmed down my defenses and just said, look, she asked me a couple questions and I was honest with her. And she said, I, I just promise you, it doesn't get better. It gets worse. And, um, there was a part of me that didn't want to believe that, but then there was a part of me that just knew it was true. And so um, finding the, the courage to walk away from something that I felt was so, walk away from something that I felt like was all that mattered, the only thing in my life worth fighting for. And, um, and that was difficult, but, um, but very necessary. And I don't think I was targeted necessarily by him. I think that one just was a progression, but there was a lot of, of relationships or encounters in there where I was definitely a target, um, sexually abused. Um, and, um, that was that, you know, who knows the mentality of people like that, but, but I do believe that there's some people that just see, you know, an easy target or somebody that's hurting. I think some people, um, can recognize um, somebody that's vulnerable and they take advantage of that. And that's very, very unfortunate that our society still has so many people in that place, but that's the reality. And, and that's what I dealt with. Um, I had a, I had a very, very hard time labeling myself as a victim. And so didn't really process a lot of these major incidents until I was an adult um, and didn't really communicate them about them with anyone until I was an adult. But, um, but looking back and just knowing that it was, um, I probably looked like easy prey at the time. And that's just, that's just the reality. And it's unfortunate and it's sad, but, um, but I, I do know that so many people see that and, and see that weakness and they exploit it for sure. Well, I really appreciate it Paige, because one of the reasons why I really wanted to start this podcast is to connect somebody like you, me and other guests that came to, the podcast and then are coming to the podcast because these are the talks that had we had growing up yeah. that maybe enlightened us and it could have avoided some of the incidents that and the pains that we went through yeah and i really appreciate you being super super vulnerable and honest tonight yeah. and i just want to go back to your childhood witnessing your father's addiction and this anxiety and i remember Paige, my uncle was very addicted to alcohol he went out and i think got into the fight and then the guy came to my house i remember vividly that he trying to he was trying to kick my uncle and i think he reached and then he cut his face or something and it was very traumatic. And on top of the abuse that I was experiencing by my father and two uncles, it was very unstable, but at the same time, like what you said, kind of as a child trying to hide it and trying to be cool at school and try to pretend that nothing is happening at home. So I was super athletic, super academic, and I just didn't want people to know. Yeah. And I, I just can't believe that the police made arrest at school. That's so brutal for the police to do that. And um, for you to have that experience of constant anxiety and then seeing your mom suffer 
Mm -hmm. And as a child, I witnessed my mom getting beaten up by my dad a lot. And then I remember I was four and I just couldn't, like, I just wanted to do something, but I was afraid and I couldn't do anything. So do you recall kind of like hopelessness that you want to help your mom, but you couldn't, and that maybe added to your more of your anxiety? Yeah, um, I think the the witness um, that I struggled. I mean, the the thing that I that I witnessed the most was the financial strain it put her in, and um, because I remember like things like going to the grocery store and and not wanting to see how much the grocery bill was because I knew it was a struggle for her just to just to keep food, you know, coming in, you know, a roof over our head. I knew everything was a struggle, and so. Um, I, I just remember like that financial strain being so difficult and wishing I could do something, wishing I could help. Um, never like, you know, we would get certain things in the house and like not wanting to eat too much, not wanting to like, you know, other friends would share snacks in the neighborhood. And I, I was just afraid of any of that because I just didn't want to put my mom in a, in a negative position. But I also just remember, um, you know, I think I, I gained empathy from her and just, knowing how much pain she was in. I, I, as a child, remember little things like meeting my half brothers that were staggered in age from me and my full siblings. And like the realization as a child, like, well, that, you know, the age doesn't make sense. Like, so, so basically I'm understanding that there was infidelity that was a part of our life. And it was just, I guess, normal. And um, and, and then just starting to realize that, that she must've been in a significant amount of pain because of that. And that was definitely not something that she was bringing up. You know, she was not saying like, um, you know, that how much that hurt her, but, um, she was trying to do the right thing by letting us know our half siblings and, and just be the better person, the bigger person. And I have so much respect for her because of that. She didn't have to do that, but she, she was not the drama. She was not the one that was going to go have a nasty altercation with the other woman because it just wasn't worth it to her. And, um, and so with that being said, like, I do remember, um, you know, just wishing that she was loved better and cherished more. And, um, her parents were great examples for us probably the only shining beacon of light in our, in our life as a, as a child. Um, they had a great relationship, a, a very healthy marriage. And, um, I wanted that for her, you know? So unfortunately the only thing I saw was like my dad and how much she loved him and, um, her, her vulnerability towards him. And so I, my hope was always that he would, he would fight for her, you know, cause as much as I wanted him to fight for me, I wanted him to, make her smile. I wanted him to make her feel like she was special. And, um, yeah, I, I wanted that for her. I want, I wished I could change that for her. Okay. Thank you so much. And for the anxiety and this trauma that you experienced, you already talked about the adulthood and then, um, the relationship, but, Currently, um, how is it affecting you mentally or um, 
do you recognize some of the things that you had experienced in childhood? Say, do you have a nightmare? Do you have like some still anxiety here and there come up? Yeah, I was actually thinking about like, not to be, not to make fun of a very, very deep issue, but to bring almost a light and awareness in a, in a light way um, and doing a series called, um, you know, things that I do now because of the trauma of my past. Um, and just um, even in the way that I'm a parent today, you know, I, I have done a lot of healing in my life. Okay. So there's a lot of healing there. And I do believe that I don't live like this broken little girl anymore. And I've had healing there, but I, um, I do have to manage a certain amount of fear in making sure that patterns aren't repeated. Um, I, you know, there was some abuse in my childhood that was kind of hidden away that I never really exposed or said anything about, but becoming really aware of that and, um, you know, having a, a young daughter and trying to toe the line of being overprotective versus knowing reality that the world is pretty, um, pretty scary and can be pretty dark. And so making choices as a parent is probably where I recognize my signs of anxiety um, probably surface the most. And I do, I, I'm very self-aware. I pay attention and I try to, I try to work through those things and heal um, so that I make sure that they're not affecting my children, but ultimately like who I am as a mother has a lot to do with who I am, um, who, who I was as a child. Like one of the parts of my anxiety was, um, was nightmares and not being able to sleep at night. And so because of that, my, you know, our bedtime routine, our bedtime routine in our household, um, you know, I've had to learn to kind of pull back because, you know, I don't want my babies to be afraid. I don't want them to be sleepless. Um, I want them to be restful and to have sweet dreams and to never feel alone. And so it's like the the tiptoe of like, okay, Paige, like you have got to trust yourself and you, the, the environment you've created, the space that you've created and, you know, just allow, allow that, right? Um, but also just that, rem just remembering just those memories from my childhood that aren't, you know, positive and, um, and that affects me. It, or it's like, I just want the best for them and I want them to never experience the things that I did. And so, so that's, that's probably where it surfaces the most as an adult for me in my life right now. I know it is a lot of pressure to be a parent and then ha having to have this trauma, childhood trauma that comes here and there because you have to be the world for them. And then that can sometimes add extra pressure because yeah. you feel like you have to be perfect and yeah. they, you feel like you have to um, really create um, a different pattern for your next generation. Yeah. And that can add more. And, you know, Paige, I just have so much compassion and empathy for you because I've suffered with this um, void that created from the childhood abuse from my father and they're willing, you know, wishing that it was different and wishing that sometimes when people talk about, okay, I had, like, say, I see healthy relationship with daughter and father, which I... I would never have, and I get jealous and I get angry and I'm like, why didn't I have that? 
and yeah. then the frustration in like why like when you are growing up you mentioned that you were very in a wealthy neighborhood and then you have those things and you had this um struggles at home and have you kind of experienced that like watching other kids and then maybe daughter father daughter dance or father daughter like healthy relationship how did you deal with that oh that's a hard one i think And I, I think I just, I, I think it was always just, you know, hide it. Don't, don't show that you're sad. Don't show the, the pain that you're feeling and, um, and just try to act like it doesn't hurt and try to even, even here, even today, you know, even as an adult, I've done so much healing and, and everybody in my life knows, um, how whole I am, but I'll hear stories of, you know, th- significant things that, that, that fathers are doing for the grandchildren. And, um, I don't know. And, and, it, and it stings, you know, you, you do think like, you know, in my life, and especially with my children, it's an interesting dynamic because my husband's mother passed away when he was about 13. And then I have, so he has just his dad and I have just my mom. And so, um, we're very aware of that. And so, my kids have one grandfather and one grandmother and um, we try to make the best of it. But I just do, I do wish that um, they had that, you know, it's like as much as I got over it myself and I witnessed all of the moments of people having their dad in their life. I, um, I think I struggle with it the most with my kids. And, and I, I do remember another time a friend of mine um, had a really good dad and he got sick and he died. And I remember, (laughs) I think the the pain came in with such empathy for her because I was like, why, why, why do the good ones have to go? You know, um, gosh, that makes me emotional because, um, she was experiencing so much pain because he was so good and just telling her like, I'm so sorry, you know? And, um, you know, my dad still, he's, you know, I don't want anything bad to happen to him. That's not the point at all, but you know, he's still living his life. And, and there's these men that were committed family men that were really good to their children and, um, and they got sick and died. And I just remember thinking, how unfair is this, you know, how unfair is this world, you know? And, um, gosh, I I remember, um, probably being more upset than I thought I would be because it was just hitting me in that way. Um, just thinking it was so unfair and so cruel. So, yeah, I can totally really. Um, it's just kind of miracle sometimes when I see a good father treating a daughter the way that they should, the way that um, the healthy relationship look like, which I've never really experienced, yeah. and obviously like that is a huge part of my void and that is another thing that i can echo with you that i attracted a lot of abusive relationships in my life because like you said i wanted to feel special i wanted people to look at me and say these things that is 
like technically not for me but for them to have you know maybe sex out of us uh you know just shallow relationship or whatever i don't even call it relationship um activities whatever and then you don't realize the level of the void in the missing part of your father yeah male figure that's not there um how do you explain how you how do you explain that when you actually don't even know what's going on inside and then what's missing and alcohol and then you know drug abuse like substance to numb yourself mm-hmm. in my case was really sex addiction yeah. and in drug or alcohol but i didn't realize even um then it's a real struggle yeah people just don't understand the core part of it until you truly realize yeah yeah it's uh and and i i think you're both aware and unaware at the same time that that's the reason why you're doing it you know like you're allowing this behavior to go on in your life and and promiscuity and sexual addiction was definitely a huge part of my story and you know, sometimes people are very afraid of that. Like in my books, I'm very vulnerable. I'm a very vulnerable person. It's just who I am. And so um, people are afraid to talk about that, but more people struggle with it than we realize. And even women, you know, it's very taboo for women to talk about it. Um, and, and the reality is, is that it was bad behavior. You know, I was being bad, but, you know, and I knew that, you know, it was, I, I was aware, but I was unaware. I was like, I knew that I had issues and but i was unaware how to stop it i was unaware um you know sometimes in the moment that that's why i was doing it it was just like it it felt like a a train that was going that i couldn't stop you know and it was in pursuit and it was going somewhere and it wanted something and it and and so all of these things that were that that i was attracting but it's like it was going so fast that i couldn't stop it i didn't i didn't know I didn't know how to stop it. I didn't know whether I wanted to stop it or not, you know, cause I didn't know if there was anything on the other side of that. Like, is there healing? Is there hope? Is there, is there a normal life for me ever waiting, you know, because I never had that. And so it was, it was very interesting and, and never could I explain the true lack that I was feeling and just how sad I was, you know, because who wants to talk about that? Who wants to listen to you talk about how sad you are, you know? So um, it was just easier to to do all of the other things and attract attention in all of the other ways because no one was going to give me attention for being sad. Absolutely. Well, uh, I got a comment from Chantel Armstead who came to my podcast before. She's sending us some love. Mm-hmm. So... Paige, I, again, really appreciate this conversation and it's really awakening and a healing for me as well. And then to be able to share your story on this platform and my side of the story, I do have significant amount of stories on my book, A Gift from Adversity, but also some of the stories that i just mentioned with you is like recent discovery that's not on my book so 
I really appreciate that. Yeah. Now let's move on to our next question, which is the tools that you use to overcome these challenges in universities. And Paige, I just wanna let you know, you are my episode 80 and I'm very grateful for that. And all of my guests so far from all over the world had shared something very special on this platform, the tools that they use to overcome the adversity. And this is my absolute favorite part of the podcast because a lot of times what people don't understand is say, go see a therapist and then they'll fix you. You need a therapist. You need to go see a therapist. I'm sick and tired of that. Not disrespecting the therapist, right. but it is not the cure. It's something that we go through as a survivor of trauma that we have to self-discover. So what would you say, Paige, uh, the tools that you use to overcome that really worked for you? So um, I love that you said self-discover because that is exactly what happened. Um, it was a progression. Okay. So I love to share this because it is, it's just funny how it works out. It's funny how, you know, in hindsight, I was, I was building a, 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 my tool belt and um, the primary focus or outlet for me as, as a child was writing. So I had this obsession with journals and I would get my journal and I would, I would go off and if it was nice outside, I would go climb a tree and get up in a tree and I would, um, I would just write down my feelings and it go, it went from being, you know, sometimes I would write letters to my dad. Sometimes I'd write letters to, um, to God and to whoever is listening. Sometimes I wrote poetry and without really knowing what poetry was. And, um, I remember like, I think I was in middle school or something like that. And I just always had a, a natural inclination and, in, uh, to, to do well in the, you know, the what it, English or they, every, I feel like every state has a different name for those classes, but English communication arts, language arts. And, um, that was the only thing I did well in. Okay. So, you know, remember earlier in the story, me talking about not feeling like I was smart, um, or I was special in any way. And, um, then just like, okay, well, this is one thing I'm at least decent at. Right. And so I would write and, um, I remember my mom reading in middle school, one of my poems and she was like, this is, this is good, you know? And, um, my teacher's saying the same thing. And now here I am writing haikus and, and write in the correct form. And so I'm getting praised for, you know, doing it, doing something the right way. Right. But then there was the times where, my mom would find poetry that was from my heart, you know, and um, in a season where, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with deep pain. And so I go off and I write. And um, when I when those pieces began to get exposed and got, you know, a little bit of attention is when the self-discovery happened. I, I thought for the first time in my life, I have a spark here. You know, this is something that I love. This is something that I enjoy. And on the flip side, other people don't seem to hate it. <laughs> and um, so it began to develop. You know, I, I think in high school, I got I got in, in involved in every writing class I could, creative writing, um, yearbook, newspaper, anything I could do to write, um, I did. And it was, like I said, the only thing I excelled in. 
Then I found out um, that I scored high in standardized testing in my state, not in any area but writing, but um, it was significant. It was, a, it was, like I said, that spark. And so that the number one tool for me in my life to process my trauma and begin develop, de- developing the healing that I needed was to write. Um, it was journaling exercises. Um, it was writing my feelings, um, vivid poetry that kind of went through these visceral experiences where I talked about my trauma. Um, you know, there's one, um, there's one specific poem that, um, gosh, it's definitely my favorite poem that I've ever written in my entire life. And it covers, um, it covers the season of my life where I had a teenage pregnancy and I chose the, the, the route of abortion. And, um, I don't think that I would be healed from that had I not ever, like I left it alone and I shut it out and it was gone and it was done, but I was still hurting so much. And I I had that void. It had never been addressed in my life. I had never overcome it. And so when I sat down for the first time to write about it and I, I created this visceral poem and it's called sail away. And it was, it just unfolded the scenario and unfolded the emotion so well. And I would just read it over and over again. And I healed, you know, and a lot of that has to do with my relationship with, with God and, and how that flows in my life. And so it's an, that's, I feel like my writing is interactive in that way. But the main thing is, is I find, I found out that I could process the things that I was dealing with, the things that I was going through, if I put them to paper, if I wrote them down, if I could be brutally honest with myself, then I could pinpoint, you know, real pain, pain places, you know, um, if I could sit down and ask myself the tough questions, then I could begin the, the route of healing and hope. And so it's, it was this interesting, like, writing really ugly things, but there was always a light at the end of the tunnel. And so I I always tell people because, you know, it's like, yeah, people talk about therapy all the time and I've just never, it's, I've, I've never, um, had therapy other than just, you know, relationships that I consider therapeutic people that listen well, ask good questions, um, you know, pastors in my life. Um, but ultimately what I feel like I experience when I write and when I journal is, self-therapy. You know, it's, we are powerful. We are extremely powerful, intelligent life forces and beings. And we have, we truly have hope in our own hands. If we just dive a little deeper and don't, if we don't drown it out, if we don't run away from it, if we don't hide, you know, I, I always say like, Darkness can only stay dark if there's no light that's ever brought to it. But if you have this major issue, this major pain point of your past, this major trauma, and you sit with it and you write it down and you talk about it, you put light on it. And then when it's exposed to light, then what power does it really have over you? You know? And so I begin to go through all of these experiences and, and that's, that's, it's like, that, that, that was the number one tool. And it's the easiest thing for me to, to tell other people, you know, you could say, change this, do this, be better here. Right? Like if somebody's going through trauma, especially if they're still in the negative patterns, a lot of people want to say, well, you need to correct your behavior or you need to, you know, try harder or seek this out. But it's like, Hey, like try to find that root, try to find out why 
that's something that you struggle with so much. And then, you know, how, how, well, write, like write about it, you know, ask yourself what's crazy. What, what this beautiful thing that happens, um, is our own. It's like, I don't know why this word is coming to, to me, but my, like our own eternal ecosystem starts working when we just engage with it. You know what I mean? Like sit down and say, okay, Paige, you're experiencing some pain here, or maybe like you're behaving this way right now. Like say, for instance, just a really practical example, you're exploding right now on your kids a lot, right? Let's sit down and let's try to find out why that's happening. You know, is there a stress? Is there something that you're dealing with that's painful? Is there something that's coming up from the past um, that's triggering you? What is it that you're dealing with? Sometimes it's a very easy solution. And sometimes um, I'm invited to a place of deeper, a place of deeper healing. Um, and all of that is only because I sit down with it and I, I challenge myself. I write, I ask myself tough questions. Um, and there's some prompts that like you can get journals, um, healing journals, all these kind of things, um, to help you engage in that if you don't know how to do it yourself. But, um, for me, it started as a child and I did it myself. So that's the number one tool for me. It's journaling talking to yourself in that form. <coughs> well, thank you so much, Paige. And I write lyrics, I sing, and I compose songs. And there was a song that's out um, on my album called Love Frequency. And then it's called Realization. And then my lyrics is like, you hit, it hit me, it hit me, it hit me. Yeah. Hey the realization that I was broken to pieces. And that's my lyrics. And then I wrote it in the bathroom when I was hyperventilating and realizing that I had this really bad sex addiction and then abusive relationship that I was attracting to. And then the way that you experienced and then self-discovery by writing journal and then talking to people and then as an artist myself sometimes my case lyrics and the melody comes together yeah. and i record and a wonderful produce producer uh that put actually reggae beat which is really opposite of what i imagined yeah and, um the process of it is very interesting because it's a pain and suffering that you don't really know, but through the writing, my case, singing and producing the song, I think um, it's interesting that you said in internal ecosystem. Mm -hmm. It's like somehow putting it out there, say right now doing the podcast with you and I'm a journalist as well. I write story for other people's and other people's pain as well. Yeah. Sometimes putting it out there, like it's almost giving a birth to the pain. Yeah. And it's very interesting. Absolutely. But anyways, yeah. Um, so let's actually move on to a gift part of it. Yeah. Is a gift that came from this adversity for you. So um it all ties in with the tool is for me is my writing. So that moved into being able to provide um, one healing for myself, 
um, processing for myself, but then putting it to words and putting it to paper. And you're familiar with this. Um, you get it out there. And as much as it was healing for you to write it, when you put it out there and put it in front of people, you begin to see um, a response and an engagement. And the gift, I think, for me, number one gift um, from this adversity is knowing that my story, sharing it with vulnerability with others, allows other people to find freedom for sure. But if nothing else, feel less alone. And the part that was so numbing and so difficult for me in the trauma and in all of the chaos was feeling like I was alone, feeling like I was the only person, you know, it's like, Paige, you're crazy. You, you're, you're the only person that no one else has dealt with this. Like keep quiet. You know, no one wants to hear about it. No one's going through this. Um, you're the only one, you know, and, and being so isolated well, then in turn, when I when I process all of this, when I when I bring this to paper, when I bring this to words and I'm able to share it with other people, then it's so cool because as much as I want them to find full freedom and full healing, um, I I can I can be okay with at least them saying, Well, I know that I'm not alone because I'm reading Paige's story in this book and in, in the roots in a woman. I'm reading all of these traumas in her life. And I went through that and I went through that and I've dealt with that. And, um, I never talked to anybody because I was alone or I never wanted to heal it, um, or go down that path of healing. I, because I felt like I was the only one. And so when you get to that place of realization of knowing that you're not alone, I feel like that creates this craving in people to, to start that, that journey, you know, to say, okay, it's like, you're you, you being very vulnerable with a sex addiction. You know, that is a very, you know, a, you know, a closed lipped issue, right? Well, every time you speak that there's an opportunity for that to go out to into the world and hit another person that's dealing with the same thing. That's never told anyone. And the, the courage that gives them the, the peace that gives them the, the human, you know, like, it makes you feel human to connect with another human and know you're not just this, like you're not this bad, horrible person with these, you know, negative traits that you were born with. Like you realize like, Oh, there's other people out there that are dealing with similar issues. And so if, if they've found hope, if, you know, if she can have a podcast and talk about her adversity, if she can write a book and talk about her adversity, then so can I. And so the number one gift of my adversity is being able to provide hope to others. It's such a gift. Like as much as I didn't enjoy the process and as much as I did not enjoy the adversity, as much as I wish I had a dad in my life, um, I wouldn't take any of it back because today I can tell you firsthand I've had so many conversations with so many women and um, the hope that I've been able to provide them um, makes it all so worth it. You know, um, them just feeling not alone and feeling like, um, like they could be well. <laughs> it's, um, it's extremely humbling and it makes me so, so thankful that I survived and that I worked through it, that I found my tool that worked for me and my gift that worked for me. And I, I let myself be, you know, I let God guide me through that and, 
and help me through that. And, um, and I'm thankful for, um, I think another gift is vulnerability. You know, you get tough and when, when you're, when you're, you know, kind of hardened by life, you have to choose to soften your heart and it does take a softening to be vulnerable. And that's another gift is just like being able to be soft when the, when your whole upbringing, you know, told you not to be right. You know, all of the things that you experienced, um, man, you know, from the time that you were a little girl, the, the whole world, you know, was telling you, you should probably shut down and never open your heart again. Right. Um, but, but being able to do that and what it provides for other people. So it's, it's just the gift of being able to pay, pay hope forward and, um, and, and create community and create dialogue and discussion. So people, people feel not alone and safe and heard and, and seen maybe for the first time even. I love what you said about pay hope forward because I've heard of it, like pay it, pay it forward. Yeah. But I've never heard of pay hope forward. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. My last request for you, Paige, before we close our podcast. If you know that somebody's listening out there who is going through the exact trauma that you went through in your life, what is your biggest advice? Um, that it's not your fault. You were innocent and um you should have been protected from all of that. You didn't deserve to go through what you went through and nothing marked you, you know, as a baby or as a child as like, okay, this is the one that deserves all the pain and all the issues. Nothing marked you that way. Um, and so you did not deserve that. And you did not have, like, you should have been more protected. And so if I can tell you anything and give you any piece of advice, it's to be able to kind of maybe open that dialogue with your inner self, that child that um, first began to experience that pain, you know, um, when you first felt abandoned for the first time, can you go back to that child just once and just say, it's not your fault and you're not alone and it's going to be okay. And you're going to be stronger for it. No one wants to hear that. Right. But you're going to be stronger for it. But at the end of the day to know that it wasn't because you weren't worthy of love you are you're worthy and it's not your fault thank you so much for that page it's a hit home all i can say that um when you're going through that it's hard to admit child blame yeah. child blames themselves and they, like no, I I blame me and I blamed like self sabotage and don't know. And for somebody out there to say that it's not your fault, you should be protected. That's exactly what should have been, what could have been in our society. So moving forward, as fellow moms, let's not let that happen to our next generation. And then do the work, and by having dialogue. I really appreciate you being here and making this conversation cool. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's been an honor truly. And I thank you for allowing me to just have this discussion with you and obviously in front of your audience. I thank you for that. Thank you for the open hearts and open ears um, to receive this, but um, it truly has been special and I've gained, I can't wait to get your book and, and dig into that story. Um, Cause it's just, it's just cool to, to know that you're not alone. Absolutely. And before I say goodbye to you, Paige, I just want to say the coolest thing. I recently worked with a super, super, super mega star from Hollywood on a movie set for three days. I'm 46 and I was cast as 18 to 25 years old. Very vulnerable role. But I was thinking on a movie set and I had this crazy life that I always wanted to end. And then the first attempt was 15 years old. Had I succeeded out yeah. being on a movie set with this mega star. So you never know what's out there yeah. later in your life. So never give up. And like, you have no idea after you survive through this trauma, what's waiting for you out there. Yeah, absolutely. I believe that. Absolutely. So Thank you again. And then thank you everyone for tuning into our gift to my diversity. I have wonderful guests uh, coming from all over the world willing to share these stories. So stay tuned and have a wonderful night.